It is a, a pleasure to be gathered together again with you this morning and to be worshiping alongside of you this morning. Um, my name is Josh. I'm one of the members here at Mission View, and uh, I hope you all were able to enjoy the holiday week this week. I don't know about you, but on Wednesday, I was convinced it was Saturday, and it threw off the rest of my work week. Um, but I hope you were all able to enjoy the day, spending time with friends and family, um, celebrating our independence, hopefully remembering and honoring those that have worked and fought for that for us. Uh, we're going to continue in our series this morning on generosity. And it's a, a series that we've been in since the beginning of June. And just to kind of get us up to speed here, recap where we've been. Um, if you remember, Nathan Kursak kicked us off in this series. And he started us um, from John 3.16, reminding us that it was out of uh, God's love that he, he gives to us so generously, right? So, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave. And then uh, Adam was up with us uh, the following week, and he shared with us the perspective of, of God as a generous shepherd, walking through Psalm 23. And then Craig Peters took the next two weeks to share some principles uh, to live by and, and to walk us through our motivation for giving, speaking from uh, Matthew and Acts. And then finally, last week, uh, Butch Persley was here with us, and he spoke from James, and he gave a, uh, a warning to the rich. But before he did that, he walked us through and helped us have a, a global perspective, reminding us and, and helping us see that we all, simply by being uh, born in the U.S., uh, we are, are rich, we are, we are blessed. And there's some warnings for how we view that and what we do with that. And today, we're going we're gonna to continue in this series. We're going to find ourselves in Luke. We'll be in chapter 17, camped out in verses 11 through 19. And what we're going to see today is another example of God's generosity towards us, followed by a response. And with today's passage speaking into a response, I wanted to give us a few opportunities, even as we spend time together this morning and go through the passage, uh, for us to, to respond today. So the first one's going to come right here in the beginning uh, with our initial reading. As I read through our passage, I'm going to conclude by, um, by calling out the fact that this is God's Word. This is the Holy Scripture. It's set apart from other literature. And I'm going to do that simply by ending the reading saying, this is the word of the Lord. And at that point, if you, if you believe that today and you're thankful for that, you're invited to respond to that. And you can do that simply by saying, thanks be to God. Okay, pretty simple though. There should be a prompting on the screen. Um, if you'd open your Bibles to Luke 17, we'll begin reading in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Christ, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, and they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. 
And then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Good job. All right. We have a uh, pretty straightforward outline to get through this morning. Um, Nothing too fancy. Um, We're first going to take a a high-level view of what's going on in our passage this morning. We're going to speak to the circumstances um, that our passage is revolving around. And then after looking at it from 50,000 feet, we're going to dive in, and we're going to look at Christ, and we're going to make some observations about what he's doing in this passage. And then after that, we're going to turn and we're going to look at this Samaritan leper. And we're going to make some observations about his response. Pretty simple. We'll obviously make some application, ask some questions of ourselves as we go through. Um, But would you pray with me for our time together this morning? And then we'll dive in. Uh, God, we, we thank you for the ability to gather together this morning. God, we thank you for bringing us here this morning, and we, we thank you that we can um, approach your word this morning. We thank you for the work that's already been done in, these, in the weeks past um, to speak and to remind us and to show us um, how you are such a generous God. Lord, and with these past weeks and the lessons we've been walking through and, and these examples um, that we've seen of you, Lord, would they, would they soften our hearts this morning? And would our hearts um, be open to receiving and to hearing your word this morning, God? And it would, would it be only your word that speaks to us this morning, Lord? And may we um, receive your word this morning, and may we see this example of, of how we can respond to your generosity. Amen. Uh, by show of hands this morning, how many of you have ever been to an art museum or an art gallery or an art showing of some sort? Most of us. Uh, I know there's there's one in the Civic Center in in Canton and uh, the building that has the art museum in Akron uh, is a pretty cool looking building. My wife and I, we have found ourselves on a few occasions at the the art museum in downtown Chicago uh, when we were living there and we'd go a couple times on uh, free days for residents. And, you know, we would just kind of walk around moseying, getting lost in a maze of art for, I don't know, a few hours. And, uh, and when we walk around and when we're seeing art, there's this, this beautiful concept in my head, this idea that I have, where I would uh, sit in front of a piece of art for like three hours and, uh, and just have one of those uh, profound moments You know what I'm talking about where like it's a soul-searching kind of enlightenment-providing moment that you might see in a movie or you might see uh, displayed or you think about when you think about going and seeing art. Uh, The problem for me though, and maybe some of you can relate, is that my brain, it works in this uh, very literal and and hyper-bullet-pointed fashion. And so art and abstract concepts they can, be, uh, they can be difficult for me to like fully wrap my brain around. Uh, uh, so when I want to be sitting there and, and drawing my own interpretation or better understanding the artist's original intent, 
Um, I'm often instead, after like 30 seconds, uh, desperately searching for that, you know, the little plaque that they put next to the art piece and it has like just the title and that's about it. And I'm looking at that to tell me what I should be thinking, what I should be feeling, how I should be interpreting um, this piece of art. Uh, uh, the thing that I can usually most appreciate though, most easily recognize about art is, is the skill that's required to create it on its very physical level, right? The, the actual painting, the actual sculpting. Um, but on a few occasions, I've had the privilege of an artist coming alongside of me and walking me through their piece. And, and typically, they'll start by asking me um, some general observations I can make. So, so what do I notice about the time frame or the era, or, or maybe the general scene being displayed if it's a painting. And then they'll, they'll typically dive in a little further um, to further details and say, all right, well, what do, you, what do you notice about the lighting or the emotion? Or is, is there something there that, that sticks out or is odd or that shouldn't be? Or is there something missing altogether? And, and the beautiful thing about art is that art transcends its physical boundaries and it speaks into and it communicates something much bigger than itself, right? So uh, a concept or idea, um, a story that reaches far beyond its frame. And I want to make the argument this morning that this concept of something physical speaking into something much bigger than itself is on display in our passage today. I think it's pretty powerful and I think it's pretty impactful. And I say that because at a high level view today, our passage culminates around an instance of Jesus healing. That's what's happening here. And healing itself is a picture of something bigger happening, right? Although, although healing is uh, incredible, uh, miraculous even, and though it is impactful, especially if you're the one that's healed, um, or if it's a family member, or even a member of your community, if your neighbor is healed, you're going to know about that. And though healing is all of these things, I think there's a bigger story, a bigger picture being told in the act of healing. And so I want to I walk through at a high level four things that I think healing reveals to us this morning. First, healing shows the holiness of God. Let me take that a step further and say that I believe Jesus' healing actually connects all of Scripture to the gospel. Why do I say that? I say that because the act of healing is the holiness of God writing what sin has wronged in our world, what sin has corrupted. If you were here, I believe it was a Sunday in early April, uh, during our worship set, there was a clip that was played that talked about the holiness of God. And it said how pretty much the entire Bible is about the holiness of God. You know, the holiness of God is on display in the creation of the world. Uh, the holiness of God is what's separated from humanity when we sin. And the holiness of God is the reason for, for really the Old Testament, the Levitical law, and the rituals. And what the clip concludes 
is that the holiness of God is what makes Christ so absurd. Because previously, when something was unclean, it needed to be removed, right? So as not to make anything else dirty. And then it needed to go through a series of, of rituals and steps, a process to become clean again. But Christ, he comes and he simply makes clean. He heals. He is so holy that he cannot become dirty, but he makes us who are dirty clean. Uh, as a case study, and to give us a frame of reference for our passage this morning, I looked through Luke, and I pulled out every instance I could see or find uh, where Jesus is recorded healing uh, by Luke in this gospel. And then when we look at this, this uh list here, what we can see is that by the time we get to our passage today, there's already been 13 other instances that I can see of Christ's healing, and there's going to be at least one more. And when we look at this list, again, each one of these instances are miraculous and incredible and impactful. But I think as we look at this list as a whole, we can step back and we can see that God is telling a story here. He is communicating something to us today. And what he is communicating is that he is holy. Uh, from this list, uh, what we can also see is that healing shows the power and the authority of God. All right, looking at this list, it's clear that this doesn't happen without power or authority. Third, we see that healing reveals our need for God's holiness. Right, this list would be far less impactful if it didn't really matter. If it was like, I was, I was this way before, and then this weird thing happened to me, and, and now I'm this way, and it's, it's fine. No. We were healed. We were healed. And finally, healing displays in unbelievable ways the generosity of God. Before we continue in our passage this morning, I want us to ask this question of ourselves this morning. Are we taking time to see and to sit in the bigger picture of God and his generosity? Right? When we do, it's frankly overwhelming. The power and the authority of God, his, his vastness, how far beyond our own lives he extends. And yet, so, so how, how intimately he still impacts each of us individually. But I think in the framework of our day-to-day, our -day, I think it's easy for us to be so focused on the details that we, we fail or forget to see and to sit in this picture. And I think it's a both-and. And if you're here today uh, exploring Christianity, maybe for the first time, maybe for the fifth uh, or if you're here today as a lifelong believer, I believe there is endlessly more for us to grasp and to see in this today. And so with that in mind, let's turn back to our passage and let's dive in. I'm going to start reading in verse 11 again. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village... He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance 
and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. What can we observe from Christ here? Well, first, we see that Jesus, he sees and he cares for the vulnerable. Notice how in verse uh, 12, it mentions that as Jesus is entering the village, the lepers, what? They, they stood at a distance. And despite this distance, Christ hears them and he, he recognizes them and he responds to them. And we know that they're vulnerable because they're lepers. By law, lepers had to remain at a distance from the rest of society. And leprosy marked you as an outcast while at the same time making you entirely more susceptible to further illness and disease. And we see that this is a well-established pattern of Christ. Right, when we look at that list of healings throughout Luke, all of those instances are healing someone who is uh, possessed or, or aff afflicted by a demon or a spirit. Or it's healing someone who has a crippling disability. Jesus, he sees and he cares for the vulnerable. Second, we see that Jesus is always open-handed. Notice how this whole instance occurs as Jesus is arriving at a village after a journey. And for me, this is like when I'm sitting at the light getting off of 77 after a seven-hour drive from Chicago. Right? I'm, not, I'm not yet sitting comfortably in my home, but I am so close I can almost see it. And it would be at this point that someone would come up and knock on your window, clearly in need. And if we're honest, I think a lot of our nature here is to respond by pretending you don't hear them or flat out ignoring them or, or maybe generously responding to them by telling them whatever they need you don't have. Right? But that is not the example that Christ sets for us. Christ is always open-handed. So often when we look at Christ in his life, we see this constant and quiet display of walking around ready and willing to give. This is a point that's been made throughout this entire series, right? And, and Craig, two weeks ago, really hit on this at the end of his passage. And it's a challenge for us who so frequently and readily want to close our fists and hold on to what's ours to protect. Who say, you can have this. I've set this aside for you, but I had a plan for this. And I would really like to see that plan through. Um, or I can serve you here, maybe on this missions trip, but, but I'm on my way home from vacation right now. And certainly not on vacation, right? Christ is always open-handed. No exceptions. Third, uh, we see here that Christ responds to a plea for mercy with a call to faith. Verse 12, it says, As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. This charge to go and show yourselves was a test of faith. Right? Christ makes no promise of healing here. And at best, he's, he's maybe only giving an indication. Because the priest at the time was the judge. They were the ones that could declare you as a leper clean. But telling them to go to the priest is far from a sure thing or a clear promise of what's to come. And so they could have easily walked away unhappy with the immediate answer. But instead, they went and they were healed. Uh, as, a, as a brief aside here, I have to say that as I, as I prayed and as I meditated through this part of the passage this week, I couldn't help but think of and be reminded of the season that we have been in as a church. Where for the past year plus, there has been no clear picture of what's ahead. No promise of what it's going to look like. And praise God that he has brought us a leader in Matt. Uh, but even as he transitions on, especially in these next few months, there's no clear roadmap of what this is going to look like. And so uh, let us continue, church, to show ourselves before God. Uh, let us continue to walk in faith because as the elders and the leaders and the staff have set such an incredible example for us in this, and as we, as we pray for Matt and his family as they transition on, let us continue to show an unwavering and an immovable faith in our God, wherever he leads us and whatever that looks like. Finally, we see that this healing was a result of faith alone. It was not contingent on their work or their effort. They simply had to act upon it. As they went, they were cleansed. It's interesting to me that we learn a little further down that Christ was ultimately unhappy with how nine of uh, the lepers responded to the healing. And I think there's a warning for us in that. Similar to the warning that, that Butch gave us last week, I think we see that we can be richly blessed, and we are. And yet we can fail to respond appropriately. And we so often do. Let's keep that warning in mind this morning as we turn here in just a moment and look at the leper's response. Now before we move on though, I, I want us to ask this question of ourselves today. When is our tendency personally to be closed-handed? And what does it take for us to faithfully respond to God's generosity with open hands of our own. Think about that. If you need an inspirational example of what this can look like present day, I won't share the full story due to time, but I encourage you to go hear uh, the testimony and the salvation story of, of Pastor Vicente. Uh, Pastor Vicente is a pastor in Mexico. He's one that is uh, supported as a missionary by Maranatha. 
And go and hear his story, and, and what I'll tell you is that you will hear that it, it took a couple from Maranatha being completely open-handed and willing to be led by God even on their vacation. And as, as someone who has personally gotten to serve alongside Pastor Vicente on a few short-term missions trips, I can tell you that the Lord is having an incredible impact in and through his life. Now let's turn and let's look at the Samaritan leper. I'm going to continue reading in verse 15. Uh, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back and praising God with a loud voice, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now I've, uh, I've briefly mentioned Christ's response in verse 17 to 19. And so I want to spend our last bit of time this morning focused uh, on and camped out in verses 15 and 16. And the first thing that I want us to see is that the leper's response was immediate. When he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. I don't think that this is often our natural response. Uh, when I was a, a kid, my mother would tell you that I was not prone to immediately obeying. They would say, Joshua, don't, don't cross this line into the kitchen while mom is cooking. And I would sit there and I would look at the line and I would look at my parents and I would swing my foot back and forth over the line, not ready to respond in obedience yet. And as adults, I think, I think this um, happens even more. Right? And it might be for a variety of reasons that we are hesitant to respond immediately. It may be out of skepticism. Right? We're not... We're not quite sure we trust that or believe that yet. Uh, for me, it's often this over-glorified view of wanting to just completely understand every detail about something before I, before I move. And I want to wrap my head around it completely. Or maybe it's, it's that you want to you connect with something emotionally completely before you move, right? That the head knowledge is there, you get it, but you want to feel it before you go on. And, and these, these, um, these hindrances aren't bad things in and of themselves. The desire to trust and to believe, the desire to understand, the desire to uh, be connected emotionally before you respond, not inherently bad. I think, I think God has made us in that way, but I think we so often take them so far beyond that that they become a preventative measure from us responding to God immediately. Um, sorry, I lost my place. Right, so the leper, he turned and he responded immediately. The second observation that we can make is that his response was not subtle or hidden, 
but rather it was loud and it was physical. Uh, all indications that I can see here are that this took place in the middle of the entry to the village. And I would assume that people were around if it's the entry to a village. And if I'm honest this morning, I really want to kind of breeze over this point. I just want to kind of mention it and keep going and moving on. Uh, but I, I think this part of the passage is pretty convicting. And so I want to stop and I want to call it out. Because it was with a, a loud voice that he praised God. And he laid down flat on his face. Another, another translation here would be that he laid out prostrate. Right? And this uh, merely talking about this extremely physical response, uh, I think it can make it hard for us to grasp this morning. And I think that we need to see it. And uh, I don't know about you, but for me, this is really awkward. Um, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to look at any of you. Uh, when, I, when I told my wife I was going to lay down in the middle of the stage, her eyes got huge. Uh, my, my family will tell you that I, I don't like drawing attention to myself. Um, so currently I'm, I'm channeling my inner Steve Marshall because this is where he thrived, <laughs> right? Um, but that's, that's the point this morning. This, this physical response, this posture has no self-dignity. It is not about me or what I look like. It is a physical posture demonstrating a lack of self and completely and humbly putting myself before a God who deserves it all. The leper's response, it was loud and it was physical. Now, I don't know if there's a daily application here. I don't know that we're all called to just lay down in the middle of our worship set. But I do think that we are probably a bit too reserved here. I know I am. I know that my heart is very resistant to this type of response. Uh, finally, we see that his response was one of praise and thanksgiving. Praise is its worship and its adoration, right? And it results from us getting a glimpse even of God's glory. We see him and we just want to praise him. Thanksgiving, on the other hand, it's a result of us seeing what Christ has done for us on an extremely personal level. Praising God with a loud voice he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Uh, a previous pastor of mine in Chicago would say it this way. He would say that when we finally see God in all of his glory, we will have two sequential responses. The first will be awe, amazed at his being. And the second will be fear seeing our own utter imperfection in its light. Praise God that he has offered us healing. And I want to leave us with, with this question this morning. 
How does our response of praise and thanksgiving look to God? Really, his perspective is the only one that matters here. Is it immediate and unashamed? I want to confess today that I I spend way too much time thinking about how to convince people that I'm not a crazy Christian, right? Uh, Way too much thought and energy goes into me trying to show Christianity in at least a normal way, right? And maybe, maybe on a good day, maybe Christianity looks a little cool as a result. And I don't know if that's because I grew up in the church, um, but when we get to a passage like this, I think it just, it just tears that notion up. Nothing about this is normal. Christ's selflessness and his generosity is not normal. And our response, it should be a little crazy. As the, as the band comes out this morning, I want to continue to invite us to participate and to respond today. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer, but I'm going to pray a prayer more over us, as a sending, as a, as a benediction. And, and, and when I do that, in just a moment, I want to ask you all to stand, and I want to ask you to, to open your hands, to have a, a physical posture, open to receiving this calling and open to response. And after this time of prayer, the band is going to lead us in a time of praise and thanksgiving. And we're going to have the opportunity to respond today loudly and unashamed. Would you stand with me? Would you open your hands as we pray? God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example you set, Lord. And, and, and most of all, God, we thank you for your generosity towards us. We thank you for how you have uh, richly blessed us, God. And we would pray that we would go from here today, Lord, and respond. Or that, that we would take your example of generosity, Lord, and that we would respond with hearts open and kind. And that as we walk out, Lord, and as we work to display and to respond with open hands of our own, God, would that impact those around us? Would our community at large, would they see a people willing to give whose hearts and minds are so set on you and may they see that and may they respond to that, God. May your story of love and generosity, may it be carried out and overflow from this place and by these people. Use us, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.